Google has already tested blocking news content for some Canadian users as a potential response to the Trudeau government's online news bill, C-18. The Alberta government is ramping up its plans to focus on addictions recovery, revealing the members of its new Recovery Expert Advisory Panel. And nearly half of young Canadians say socialism is the ideal economic system for Canada. Hello Canada, it's Thursday, February 23rd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Rachel Emanuel. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. As the Trudeau government's online news act, Bill C-18, inches closer to becoming law, Google is blocking some users from viewing news content in what the tech giant says is a test run of a potential response to the online news act. Bill C-18 would require companies like Meta and Google to compensate legacy media companies for putting content on their platforms. Now, on Wednesday, Google said it is temporarily limiting access to news content for under 4% of Canadian users as it evaluates possible responses to what's become a very controversial bill. Google spokesman Shea Party said in a statement that we're briefly testing potential product responses to the bill that impact a very small percentage of Canadian users. We've been fully transparent about our concern that C-18 is overly broad and, if unchanged, could impact products Canadian use and rely on every day. Now, during a House of Commons committee studying the bill, Google said it was concerned about the bill because it does not require publishers to adhere to basic journalistic standards. They argued that C-18 would favor large publishers over smaller outlets and could result in, quote, cheap, low-quality clickbait content. In response to Google's test run, Canadian Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez's office said they will not be intimidated and that it was disappointing that Google is borrowing from Meta's playbook referring to when Meta banned Australian news pages on Facebook in response to a similar bill. Rachel, this is all very interesting here. We know that uh, the news world is going through a major existential change in terms of its business model, and news media has been frustrated by the fact that they post a lot of content on Facebook, on Twitter, and elsewhere, and they hope it drives traffic and Often it does. Sometimes they are able to monetize it, but they also know Google and Facebook are able to monetize all of this traffic that's on their pages because people are posting news, talking about news. So the Canadian government's basically saying, well, Google, give us a slice of that pie there. And I guess Google is arguing, well, it's not so much that we rely on you to exist, but you rely on us to exist. So we don't really want to play ball here. I think I see a little bit more credence with Google arguments. You know, arguably, news publishers are able to have a lot more reach with their articles nowadays when you're posting them on places like Google and Facebook than before when we didn't have the internet. They need to understand that this is a changing landscaping market. Unfortunately, you know, news publishers aren't able to get revenue from advertising in the same way that they were because most advertisers want to advertise on places like Google and Facebook where they'll have more of a reach than just on a company's website like the Globe and Mail, for example, but they just need to adapt to the changing times. And I don't know if the answer is forcing private companies you know, to do things that they're clearly uncomfortable with here. Here we have Google that's being backed into a corner and now they're testing removing news sites and articles from their platform altogether. And this is exactly what we're going to see as the article pointed out. You know, this is what we saw in Australia a couple years ago in 2021 when they were forced to compensate publishers for news linking that had been posted on Facebook. They just said, okay, well, we're just going to remove news articles from our platform altogether. 
know, they were able to come to an agreement in the end. But the Canadian government is really backing companies into a corner here. So I think we're going to see this type of response when they're just not sure what this legislation is going to look like and how to respond to it. It's just easier not to engage entirely. And one would think that what's best is to just not have a war here where one doesn't necessarily need to have one. Of course, the government's saying we will not be intimidated. I mean, them's fighting words. It seems like they just want to stoke it further. And I think what makes more sense is to try and tone things down. Alberta Mental Health and Addiction Minister Nicholas Milliken has revealed members of the new Recovery Expert Advisory Panel, who will advise the province on its recovery-orientated systems of care. Milliken made the announcement at the Alberta Recovery Conference on Wednesday, just one day after Premier Daniel Smith said Budget 2023 contained plans to invest $275 million in funding for the Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction. That's up from $87 million in 2019. The minister said all 16 members want to be a part of Alberta's focus on making sure that every person in the province has the opportunity to pursue recovery. The government said the panel is made up of experts from diverse fields who will provide ongoing advice on research and innovation policy and standard developments, as well as evaluation and outcomes reporting. The Recovery Expert Advisory Panel will provide ongoing advice for a period of one year, with the possibility of extension. The panel will be chaired by Dr. Keith Humphreys, Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University. Humphreys also served as the Drug Policy Advisor to U.S. Presidents George Bush and Barack Obama. Dr. Nathaniel Day, the medical lead of the Alberta Health Service's Rural Opioid Dependency Program and a member of the Minister's Opioid Emergency Response Commission, will serve as Vice Chair. This looks like a pretty heavy-hitting committee. This is a good announcement from the Alberta government, one of the many that we've seen on the homelessness and addictions file. And of course, we had the huge announcement from the Premier about the funding that was at the first day of the conference. They want to invest $275 million in the Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction in Budget 2023. Now, of course, that is if the budget is passed and those numbers are approved. But Anthony, I don't think we're seeing action like this from provinces elsewhere. However, it is worth noting that at the conference, there were members from other provinces, you know, ministers of mental health and addiction from other provinces. So I'm wondering, do you think it's a good indicator that they were at least willing to go to the conference? And do you think that we can expect to see them adapting some of the approaches that we're seeing here in Alberta? I do. I think this is a trailblazer moment. I think it's wonderful. Rachel, I defer to you for the details of what's going on in these provincial announcements, but from a national perspective, it does seem like things are turning here. I know the NDP government in BC is talking about bringing in much more treatment and even some forms of involuntary treatment for people who are really not well on the streets uh, to get them the assistance they need. A lot of what Danielle Smith says, very powerful words, and her chief of staff, Marshall Smith, Uh, talking about his experiences formerly being on the street as a drug addict. You wrote a very powerful feature about him. Uh, We see other cities wanting to go in different directions. I think Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim is concerned with this. I think New Ottawa Mayor Mark Sutcliffe is concerned with it. I would like my city of Toronto to move more towards treatment, treatment, treatment. And we're just hearing a lot of nonpartisan words about like coming together uh, to look out for our our fellow uh, men and women who are out on the streets. It's a very powerful moment. Yeah, it seems like maybe Alberta does have a little bit of responsibility for starting that conversation and for starting the conversation on recovery. But as Smith pointed out at the conference on Tuesday, it was actually former Alberta Premier Jason Kenney who really started these initiatives back in 2019. And the province is only as far along as it is now because of his efforts when the UCP government was elected under him. So it's great to see that Smith is continuing these efforts. And as I just mentioned, increasing funding by millions and millions of dollars. That's quite the investment if that passes through and the budget will be introduced next week, so we'll know shortly.
Nearly half of young Canadians say socialism is the ideal economic system for Canada. That is according to a new report by the Fraser Institute. The report released on Wednesday showed 46% of Canadians aged 18 to 34 had a more positive impression of socialism than say capitalism, communism, and fascism. Now, many young Canadians felt socialism was defined as receiving more from the government. The most common perspectives of socialism among the group were, quote, government providing more services like healthcare, education, and daycare, and, quote, the government guaranteeing a certain level of income for all citizens. According to most young Canadians, additional services and a guaranteed level of income should be financed by taxing wealthy citizens. Seven in 10 said socialism should be funded by increasing taxes on the top 1% of high-income citizens, and 6 in 10 said the system should be funded by taxing the top 10%. Support for socialism trended downwards with age, as 18 to 24-year-olds favored socialism the most, and those aged 55-plus favored socialism the least. Rachel, I guess the big question is, are you surprised by these responses? It is interesting to see what the definition is. It does seem to be that the definition of socialism is just, you know, a little bit more free stuff than we have right now. Yeah, the definition of socialism is definitely only focusing on the positives. I don't think it mentions how much higher taxes will be, or even the fact that government-provided services often don't run as effectively as privately-run services. But no, I'm not surprised to see the numbers fall in this place. I just graduated from university not too long ago, and this is pretty in line with what young people there thought of, you know, especially for nowadays young people, they just view capitalism as evil for some reason. And I think there's really a lack of understanding about the opportunities that are created under capitalism. So I'm not surprised to see these numbers. I think it's a little bit disappointing, but I obviously have my own opinions on socialism. I also wonder what specific things young people would like to see added uh, to the government buffet. I understand that uh, basic income is something that's being discussed here, but there's just a lot of things that are already free compared to how things were 20, 30 years ago. Uh, things that may not be all that apparent, but when you go looking for them, you find, oh, I actually can get free dental care. If I'm a low-income person, I can get this, I can get that. Lots of stuff really available. And when we talk about, okay, tax the rich, you actually look at what's going on here, uh, you see a large percentage of tax revenues already come from the rich, lower income people uh, not paying much tax. And also, when you add up uh, all the money of Canadian billionaires, you go, okay, well, that's that's quite a lot of money, a lot more than most people have. But when you also look at the size of our budget, you realize you could actually burn through that money uh, very quickly and still not get close to solving society's ills. If we just flat out confiscated the entire net worth of all of our billionaires, uh, we, we could actually churn through it in a year or two and, and not really have positive results. It's not like we can just spread the wealth and, and suddenly that solves everything. No, for sure. And I mean, I just think fundamentally the principles of socialism are problematic. It's important that young people work for things and that they're able to understand that work is valuable and they're able to see the products of that work. And so it's a little bit problematic when everyone knows, you know, they have the government to fall back on. You can certainly argue the value of some of these services for people that have fallen on hard times and unfortunate situations in Canada is most vulnerable, of course. But we do live in a society nowadays where there's often not a lot of repercussions for your actions. You, you know, you're able to get out of things very often. And especially when we look at the jail system, and I think, you know, that's also just an impact of the socialism that we're seeing creep into Canada seems to have grown. As you've mentioned, there's a lot more services that are free nowadays. And the other thing just for young people is I think they like socialism when they're younger. They like the idea of it. And then they graduate and they start working and they see how much is scraped off of their of their paycheck every single week and they just feel frustrated and they're wondering, you know, am I really getting 
the, am I really getting my value worth of services for the amount that I'm paying in taxes every year? And I think a lot of people would prefer to spend that money on things that they choose for themselves rather than government services, a lot of which they don't even use. That's it for today. And don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening and have a great day.